following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. After starting a new diet, a woman altered her drive to work to avoid passing her favorite bakery. She accidentally drove by the bakery one morning, and as she approached there, in the window was a host of chocolates, donuts, and cheesecakes. She felt this was no accident, so she prayed, Lord, it's up to you. If you want me to have one of those delicious goodies, create a parking place for me directly in front of the bakery. And sure enough, on the eighth time around the block, there it was. God is good. All right, this morning we'll read from uh, James chapter 1 here in a second. Um, But the message is, why do bad things happen to good people? And if you'll bear with me, uh, I don't know how many of you have ever read Max Lucado. He's a great, great, great writer. Love the guy. Uh, He's got so many good books out. I just want to read... Um, something from one of his books is called In the Eye of the Storm. There is a window in your heart through which you can see God. Once upon a time, that window was clear. Your view of God was crisp. You could see God as vividly as you can see a gentle valley or a hillside. The glass was clean, the pane unbroken. You knew God. You knew how he worked. You knew uh, what he wanted you to do. No surprises, nothing unexpected. You knew that God had a will, and you, and, and you continually discovered what it was. Then suddenly, the window cracked. A pebble broke the window, a pebble of pain. Perhaps the stone struck when you were a child and a parent left home forever. Maybe the rock hit in adolescence when your heart was broken. Maybe you made it into adulthood before the window was cracked, but then the pebble came. Was it a phone call? We have your daughter at the station. You better come down. Was it a letter on the kitchen table? I've left. Don't try to reach me. Don't try to call me. It's over. I just don't love you anymore. Was it a diagnosis from the doctor? I'm afraid our news is not very good. Was it a telegram? We regret to inform you. Your son is missing in action. Whatever the pebbles form, the result was the same, a shattered window. The pebble missled into the pane and shattered it. The crash echoed down the halls of your heart. Cracks shot out from the point of impact, creating a spider web of fragmented pieces. And suddenly, God was not easy to see. The view that had been so crisp had changed. You turned to see God, and his figure was distorted. It was hard to see him through the pain. It was hard to see him through the fragments of hurt. You were puzzled. God wouldn't allow something like this to happen, would he? Tragedy Um, and travesty weren't on the agenda of the one you had seen, were they? Had you been fooled? Had you been blind? The moment of the pebble struck, the glass became a reference point for you. From then on, there was life before the pain and life after the pain. Before your pain, the view was clear. God seemed so near. After your pain, well, he was harder to see. He seemed a bit distant, harder to perceive. Your pain distorted, the view not eclipsed it, but distorted it. Maybe these words don't describe your situation. There are some people who never have to redefine their focus or their view of God, but most of us do. Most of us know what it means to feel disappointed by God. Most of us have a way of completing this sentence. If God is good, then call it an agenda, a divine job description. Each of us 
has an unspoken yet definitive expectation of what God should do. If God is God, then there will be no financial collapse in my family. My children will never be buried before me. People will treat me fairly. This church will never divide. My prayer will be answered. These are not articulated criteria. They are not written down or notarized, but they are real. They define the expectations we have of God. And when pain comes into our world, when the careening pebble splinters the window of our hearts, these expectations go unmet and doubts may begin to surface. We look for God but can't find him. Fragmented glass hinders our vision. He is enlarged through his peace through this piece and reduced through that one. Lines jigsaw their way across his face. Large sections of shattered glass opaque the view. And now you aren't quite sure what you see. I'm going to come back and finish that chapter here in a little bit. So again, the question is, and I think we've probably all asked it, why do bad things happen to good people? I think most of us in here probably would consider ourselves good people at one point or another. I mean, not all the time. But this is kind of referred to as the Achilles heel of Christianity. A couple months ago, and this may sound kind of odd the way I say this, I was honored to do a funeral. And I've never done one before. And I sat with the family the week prior to. And we just sat down and we talked. We talked about the deceased. And they asked that question. He was a good person. Why did he have to die? It was an accidental death. Um, it was an unfortunate motorcycle accident. But the question they had was, why did he have to die? Um, young man in his mid-30s, loved life, loved his nieces and nephews like they were his own kids. And his brother, who was absolutely distraught, just kept asking the question, why? So that kind of also prompted me in putting this message together because I tried my best to be able to answer that question for him. And, you know, you can say all the typical cliches that are out there, you know. But when it comes to speaking to someone in that kind of a situation, only God can bring comfort and clarity to that. And I believe at the time we finished our meeting and the following week when I did the service, that they came to that conclusion, that they understood they didn't blame God anymore. They understand that things happen, that this is a fallen world. Thankfully, they had some sort of foundation in Christianity or in the church, which helped them get through it. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And every time, I don't care how many times I've read this, but when you get to, when you get to verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea blown and tossed about by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Or excuse me, often. 
but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildfire. For the sun rises and scorching heat withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. George Barna conducted a national survey in which he polled adults across America. And he asked, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? The top response is, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says, the problem with pain is that pain requires attention. Pain insists on being attended to. We ask these kind of questions both for the purpose of some sort of intellectual debate. We ask questions like this because they affect all of us on a very personal level. These kinds of questions can either make us or they can break us. They can make us bitter or they can make us better. We make that decision. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we deal with what happens to us. So we turn to the book of James this morning, as we just read. Um, it is one of the most practical books in the New Testament. Uh, it's not a book about a lot of doctrine. It's not a book that defends Christianity, and it's not one um, to explain how to be saved. James is a letter written to believers who, at the time, we assume, already knew the basics of Christianity. The main issue that prompted James to write is still a concern today. If you say you believe, why do you live as though you do not? James begins by identifying himself simply as James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it is believed, and I'm sure that most people believe, um, that James was the brother of Jesus. Uh, one of four sons born to Joseph and Mary. And so he grew up in a large family. I have three older sisters and one older brother. Myself, so I get it. Sometimes in large families, parents can often compare one child to another. Why can't you be more like your brother or your sister? <laughs> so how do you think it felt for James with his brother being Jesus, the most perfect human being that ever walked the earth. <laughs> Perhaps it makes it easier to understand why James did not believe until after the resurrection. But not only did James then come to faith, he was also declared an apostle and pastored the church in Jerusalem. And he was known for his profound prayer life. So James is writing to a group of primarily Jewish believers um, who are undergoing severe hardship. They were hated, despised because they were Jews, and they hated them as well. James could have patted them all on the back and comforted them, but instead he challenged them. He says, now put on your big boy pants because you've got to learn to trust God when things go bad. It's time to grow up. In many churches today, the preaching is that the Christian life will always keep you healthy, wealthy, I don't want to say wise, and life will always be good. James would have laughed at those sermons that you hear sometimes on the radio or the TV today. That kind of preaching would be a foreign concept to him. James would have laughed and thought that becoming a believer would suddenly make all your problems disappear and that you will live happily ever after. I don't want to name names, but there is some 
pastors that are on, like I have Sirius Radio, who, it sounds great. It's all about living the good life, that God is going to do this, 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 and this, and all you got to do is believe. And that's nice. That's a nice thought. Um, not to say it can't be true, but it's not always true. It's not, at least not in the way that they put it. I feel somewhat sorry, I guess, for those that attend those types of services because they don't have the reality, or maybe they don't see the reality. I don't know if they're hearing it for the first time. They're hearing a, rea a reality that may not really be true. Um, and that's why I appreciate Wellspring so much is because we're allowed to speak the truth. Dave preaches every week from the Bible. He, sp he speaks the truth. And you've got to do that. You can't candy coat. You can't pussyfoot around this stuff. This is it's real life. It's not all about living the good life. C.S. Lewis said that it, what everybody wants, that we don't want a father in heaven. We want a grandfather in heaven. Because we know how grandparents are, and I had no idea today was grandparents' day. No idea. <laughs> I don't, we have a day for everything now. I don't, it's like crazy. You know, grandparents are the ones who make everything right. <laughs> At the end of the day, we say that a good time has had by all. And my little monkey boy will tell you that for sure. All of us face trials, and while it's our tendency to ask, how can we avoid these trials? How can we make them go away? The real question should be, how can we change the way we respond to these hard times? Glad you asked that question, because I have an answer for you. First of all, it helps to realize that difficulties come into everyone's life. Consider it joy when, you're, when you fall into trials. James is telling us that bad things are not optional. Optional, they are inevitable. He does not say if you encounter bad things. He, will, he says when you encounter bad things. It is not our idea that we are going to have many trials. It is the idea that we are going to have all kinds of them, various kinds of them. Loss of a job, broken relationships, illness that lingers, or a wayward child. And whatever we might be, and whatever they might be, excuse me, they can be overwhelming. James says basically if you're a believer, people will know it based on how you respond to those trials. That is a heavy statement. That hit me really hard when I was studying for this message. How I respond will let other people know what I believe. If your faith is only good when you don't need it, then you don't need it. If your faith is only good when you're doing well, then what good is it? Truth and faith sustain us when everything else goes wrong. It is, an attitude that deter it is the attitude that determines outcome. Most of us, when we face some trial, some bad thing that is happening, we will ultimately ask why. Why am I going through this? What purpose could this possibly serve? But let me ask you a question. Have you ever really searched for the answer to that question? It's easier to just throw up your arms and disgust, blame God and say, I'm done. And the reason for that is our attitude. Because we get angry, we get disgusted, we get bitter, and we get frustrated. Again, verse 2, count it joy when you fall into trials. That's, that's a hard concept for me, personally, I think, and it's a hard concept for a lot of people. Counting is an accounting term, which means to evaluate or to add up. Right here, James hits right at the heart of the problem. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, our attitude. 
James is saying that we are going to benefit from our trials, just wade through them. But to actually benefit from them, we must deal with our attitude. He's not saying that trials are not going, are joy to go, are, are a joy to go through. He is saying we should count them as joy. Evaluate them. Don't be passive. Don't ignore them. Don't go into denial and act as though they never happened. Look clearly at them. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, pain requires our attention. If you're hurting, you try to do something to fix the pain. Pain insists on being attended to. For many of us, some things keep happening over and over because we don't pay attention to them. We just wait for them to end, and that is the wrong approach. Philip Yancey, in his book, Where is God When It Hurts, puts it this way. Rejoicing in suffering does not mean we should be happy about tragedy and pain when we really feel like crying or falling apart. The biblical focus is on the end result. How can God use the suffering in our lives? But before he can use it, he needs us to trust him. Yancey then says that the process of giving him that commitment can be described as rejoicing. Again, attitude determines outcome. We can be absolutely certain God has a purpose in our trials, even when we don't see it. Knowing that trials have a purpose can make a big difference in how we face these bad times. No matter how you might feel, God has not abandoned you. He has not in the past. He has not in the past, and he will not in the future. I think every one of us can attest to that this morning. When we've gone through the fire, and we're thinking we're never going to get out of this, and now we're here, and you can look back and say, hey, guess what? God got me through. Huh. First Peter 1, 6 through 9 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness, genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. According to James, enduring these bad things produces certain characteristics <clears throat> in those who are going through them. Like, like the saying goes, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And there are three characteristics to that. I, I tried to be like Dave and do some uh, research, you know, and throw a Greek word in here. So I found the word teleos, which means perfect in the Greek language. It's fit for a purpose, but it does not mean sinless. The second one is we will be complete, whole, fully developed. Third, we will be lacking in nothing. God will provide everything we need to remain obedient during the bad times. I've told the story many, many times when I've done the message about when I was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. And when I first met with a doctor, he told me that if I didn't start working on my health, I had a, it was abysmal. <laughs> I think it was like, uh, something like, I'm glad somebody remembers. See, I'm, I'm too old, I don't remember that stuff. I was, I had a very low chance of making it the next six, uh, the three to six months. But I just, I looked at him and I said, no, that's not going to happen. And that was two years ago. 
And, and I, the reason why I bring that up now is because there were times when I went through that that were very hard. And I know Dave can attest to this as well. You know, there's, there's times when you feel good, there's times when you don't. And you fight and you fight and sometimes you just want to give up. I know, Coach, same thing. There's times you just want to quit. But you can't because there's too much riding on it. There's too many little things running around that you got to keep fighting for. But I say that to say this, that during those times, even when I struggled, I had people stand in the gap for me. And that's what we're here to do as well. So we don't have to just rely on our faith. We can rely on everyone else in this church, our friends, our family, because I would have never made it without without you guys, never, even as hard as I fought. So we are here to help others too. You know, we have our faith. We need our faith. It needs to be strong, especially in times like that. But we also have each other, and we got to remember that. James isn't suggesting that we count trials as joyful. He is charging us to do so, to allow this way of thinking to completely control our minds and our actions. It is the command that he gives us. But understand this. If I said raise your hand into the air, <clears throat> that is something you can actually do. You don't have to do that. You can and well, you will raise your hand into the air. However, if I said to jump to the moon, well, I don't think anybody in here is capable of doing that. Probably the most of us in here can't even leave the ground. <laughs> so <laughs> I, know, I know I can't. <laughs> um, so that command, obviously, is you are not capable of following. This command is the one that is possible. But here's the catch. You must be the one to do it. No one else can do it for you. You must make a decision to do it. We can stand in the gap for others, but we can't force them. God is a purpose in our bad times. We were not intended to go through these bad times alone. Believers do not go through trials alone. We have the wisdom of God at our disposal. It's not automatic, but all we have to do is ask. We need insight on how to go through these bad things, and wisdom is the applied knowledge. It is when we put knowledge to use that gets us through. We know what these verses say, but the question is, how do we put them into practice? Do we stay where we are? Do we move? How should we respond? James says, simply ask God, and he will let you know what to do. God intends for our trials to become blessings. Blessed, this is the beatitude. And then just like in Matthew chapter 5, it means to be happy. To be satisfied, joy is contentment. Even when trials come our way, too many times we see people come to Christ. Then they are baptized, but before long we don't see them anymore. Trouble comes along and they're gone. And they may never come back. They shook their fist at God and said, that was it. When golf balls were first manufactured, of course I would use that, they made them smooth. And I did not know that until I did study for this. They, made, they initially made golf balls that were smooth. After much studying, as they always do on everything, they discovered that the ball, after it was roughed up, went farther. And that is when they started to put the dimples in the ball. And they started to fly further. So it is with life. It takes some rough spots to make us go the farthest. An invalid was told that he could never escape from his prison of pain and weakness. Oh, well, he replied, 
There is a lot of living to be found within your limitations if you don't wear yourself out fighting them. Psalms 46, 1 through 3 says, and I love this passage. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Some may depend on their bank accounts. Some may depend on their jobs, their families, and their relationships. But our God is a far better refuge than any of those. It is not that the relationship we've invested so much time in that is our refuge and strength. It is not a job. It is not a house. That is our ever-present help in time of trouble. It's not the economy, for sure. It's not the age or appearance, but hey. Condition or health of our bodies, which provides help, which provides us help. It is God who provides us with a place to run and a place to hide. Deuteronomy 33:27 contains the awesome, encouraging truth: the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are His everlasting arms. And this is the end of that chapter from Max's book I just read. The message: when you can't see Him, trust Him. The figures you see is not a ghost. The voice you hear is not the wind. Jesus is closer than you've ever dreamed. At times our foundations are shaken. It seems like everything is coming apart beneath us. But those who put their faith in God will not be swallowed up by such events. We have a firm foundation in God. When the waters roar and the mountains shake, we can stand firm. As Charles Spurgeon wrote, faith rests on firmer bases and is not to be moved by swelling seas. Evil evil may ferment, wrath may boil, and pride may foam, but the brave heart of of holy confidence trembles not. Even when everything seems to be against us, Christians can remain in peace. This doesn't mean we will never go through storms, because we will. It means Christ is with us in the storms, and he brings peace in the midst of that storm. All right, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. And Lord, I just thank you for the honor and the privilege to be here and to deliver the message this morning. And Lord, I just pray that it resonates with those of us here. Lord, I pray that you just um, speak to each and every person here this morning, Lord, just and go with them as they leave, be with them this, throughout this week, and bring them back safely next week. And we just ask, Lord, that you just to continually remind us that when we go through these storms of life, that you are always there. We may not be able to see you in the midst, but we know that you're there. And you're ready to help, you're ready to receive, and you're ready to heal. So God, we thank you for everything and all that you do. And we just, we just give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will